So today we're going to talk about dermoscopy, and over the next two hours it's almost more of a workshop. You can really establish some basics. And so if you guys don't own a dermatoscope, this lecture is for you to say, dermoscopy, is that something that I want to add into my practice? So basically, you just heard all of that. Um, I'm in a group practice in Tyler, Texas. There's eight dermatologists, and we have four PAs and one nurse practitioner. Mr. Gade, who spoke earlier this morning, is one of our physician's assistants. And so if you guys are just starting out in the dermatology PA world, meet Kirk. He is a great resource, a great clinician, a fun friend, and so I really enjoy working with him. But you've got a good resource there, so talk to Mr. Gade if you're just starting out. Those are my three kiddos, and so that's my real job when I get home, and they keep me very, very busy and very, very humble. Okay, so dermoscopy is it for me. If your answer right now before we start is no, um, there's some exits right over there. There's a great restaurant in the lobby because you may not need to sit here for the next two hours. But my hope is that I can convince you that yes, this is an easy thing to add into your practice, and it's gonna add to your clinical skills. So we're gonna define what dermoscopy is, explain what we use dermoscopy for, Learn some of the basics. Melanoma is kind of classically what we think about using dermoscopy for. And then we're also, I use it a lot for non-pigmented lesions as well. Um, I would like to thank these three websites. Dermoscopy is huge outside of the U.S. It's pretty much a standard outside of the U.S. And it's catching on here in the States as well. But these sites that have all these great blogs and cases and podcasts and things are mainly out of Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. So all three of these sites are Australian and New Zealand, and they have great um, resources. One of the bottom ones, there's a blog that has some awesome podcasts as well. And so if you're feeling really, really nerdy and want to just kind of watch some dermoscopy blogs and some videos, that's a great place to go. Okay, so first pants, then your shoes. First, we are all clinicians, and so that's really straightforward. My emphasis today is that dermoscopy is a tool that you use. First and foremost, we are trained clinicians and we use our eyes. If you look at something and under the dermatoscope you say, well, it's not that concerning, but your history, your clinical impression, those kind of things, that's still your primary resource. So what is dermoscopy? It's the examination of skin with a dermatoscope. It's also called epiluminescence microscopy. I can't even get it out. Epiluminescence microscopy. Um, classically, you use a non-polarized light source, some sort of oil immersion, and a glass surface that compresses the skin. And what you're doing is you're canceling out the skin surface reflection so that you can better see skin structures. So here's the history. It's in the 17th century, Kohlhaas looked at nail-fold capillaries under a microscope. So he's credited as the first guy with the idea. And then we added oil immersion, which, like I said, canceled out the skin surface reflections, then used it on the skin, built-in light source just to make it easier. We had the first guy that termed dermascopy, and then began using it actually for diagnosis. The whole um, dermoscopy world changed in 2001. 3Gen, who I think is gonna be one of the exhibitors that's here tomorrow, uh, introduced a handheld polarized dermatoscope. And so before you had this, dermoscopy was to somewhat degree, it was kind of cumbersome because you had to put a drop of oil on the patient's skin, then you had to get your dermatoscope, and classically I'll show you a picture, and then you had to look at it, and then you had to clean off the patient and all those kind of things. Now with these polarized dermatoscopes, you keep it in your pocket, and it's literally like an extension of your hand. And so you can look at 20 things just as quickly as you could look at them with the naked eye because it's just there in your pocket, you pull it out, you magnify it, you look at it. And so this has made it a whole lot more convenient for dermatologists to use dermoscopy. 
So this is what I trained on, a bottle of mineral oil and then this handheld dermatoscope. And it's just a head that you can screw on just to a regular otoscope. Um, and it's great. Some of the best images are with this non-polarized oil immersion dermoscopy. And a lot of the images that you're going to see on the internet are oil immersion dermoscopy. However, I think the convenience of the handheld polarized dermatoscope outweighs this. And so this is what I'm talking about, the derm lights. I have both of these. The one on the right has um, polarized and non-polarized, but both of these are great, super easy. You pull it out, it's about this size. You can press the light with your finger and you go. Dermoscopy photography, that's something that's very, very big overseas as well. And it's a great monitoring tool. These are smartphone dermatoscopes, so yes, there's an app for that. Um, a little bit more cumbersome than just the one that you use in your pocket simply because you've got to open your phone if you're like me, you've got your passcode to keep your kids off your phone, then you've got to open the app, and then you've got to take the picture and focus, and so they do take a little bit more time. That being said, some of 3Gen's, Canfield is on the top, um, some of 3Gen's dermatoscopes screw onto your phone really easily, and so you don't have to go through opening the app, it just goes straight to your camera, and then you don't have to have it attached to your phone either, and so that is a nice adjunct if you want to store dermatoscopic images. Dermatoscopic mapping is taking off as well. There's a couple of sites in the states that are doing it. Of course, insurance is going to be an issue for any of this, but mole map is kind of the classic model, and so they do dermoscopy and serial monitoring. It's like you would go in and there's a tech that takes full body fo um, photographs of your nevi, then takes dermatoscopic photos of your nevi, and they're reviewed by an off-site clinician. And so over time, you can do serial monitoring, very big in Australia and the UK. And so these are the ones that I own. Probably, again, my favorite is this guy right here. I can attach it to my phone if I wanted to. There's a different one I have that I can. This one um, is pretty heavy and cumbersome. It's like having a big old cell phone in your pocket. When I say cell phone, I mean like the ones that used to dock in your console in the car and hold like that. And so it's a little large. So I like this. Someone said this example. One of the neat things about dermoscopy is that you're visualizing, you're visualizing things both in the horizontal and in the vertical planes. So kind of like a glacier. That's the top of a glacier, but when you look at it vertically, you're seeing the depth and the structures that go there. And so dermoscopy, some of these structures that you're seeing, they're going to correlate histologically with what you're seeing deeper down in the skin. So here's the applications. There's actually a lot. The classic thing that you think of is, I just want to look at dysplastic nevi with my dermatoscope, and I want to be able to say, do I biopsy this to rule out a melanoma? Do I watch it? But really, there's a lot that you can do. You know, the melanoma diagnosis in pigmented lesions is big, but you can also look for scabies or pubic lice. I recommend washing your dermatoscope if you're doing that. Wart diagnosis, I like this sometimes too, because you can look and say, you get to that point, do I refreeze this wart? Do I not? Is it still there? Is it not? That's sometimes helpful there. Fungal diagnosis, I'm not great with scalp dermoscopy, but you can differentiate alopecia areata, tinea capitis. There's several things that you can do. Um, the papulosquamous stuff, this is some of the newer stuff that's really taking off. And um, there are some guys that are so good at dermoscopy, they can differentiate psoriasis like in planus, like in simplex chronicus, just by looking with their dermatoscope at the vascular patterns. Surgical margin determination, I haven't personally used this. There's a couple of articles out there for lentigo maligna um, looking at surgical margin determination or for Bowen's disease as well. So why do we do it? Is it even worth your time? I mean, if you ask the other seven dermatologists that I practice with who are all older than I am, the answer is no. 
They don't even have a dermatoscope, and their thing is, if you need a dermatoscope to look at it, you need to biopsy it. That's not the case at all. Like I said, you know, you can use the dermatoscope for a lot of different things. One article showed that you increased your sensitivity, so you caught, you know, you didn't, you caught more melanomas and your specificity, so you're not biopsying the things that you didn't need to by 20% and 10%. Of course, these are folks who are trained in dermoscopy. Other articles, you know, 5 to 30% range. And it's going to make you happy. There was one article in the, in the JAD this year that it increases resident satisfaction. So don't we all want to be happier at work every day? And then Ashfaq Margoub, he's kind of the guru here in the States. He does lots of dermoscopy conferences. If you ever have a chance to go, most folks are saying really two days of dermoscopy. He's an incredible teacher. And um, this was just a quote from him this year in the JAD. And so excellent and more confident clinicians. And I really feel that that is kind of what dermoscopy does for me. If I think I need to biopsy it, you look at it under the dermatoscope, it just kind of helps confirm your clinical diagnosis, push you one way or the other. Most of the time, it doesn't completely change what you're going to do. Here's the other thing. Patients love dermoscopy. I can't tell you how many patients that I've had say, we wanted to see you because you're the one that has that little light. And so. I think it's kind of like, you know, there's the articles where if you sit down in the room, even if you spend the same amount of time in the room, patients perceive that you've spent more time with them. I think dermoscopy is almost the same thing, that rather than just looking at their back, if you take two seconds and you start magnifying a few things there, their perception is that you are really paying attention and you are really looking. So patients like it, and I've had patients specifically come to me because they said, we heard you used a little light. So that's kind of, you know, when you look at is dermoscopy for you, it's an investment versus a return. Everything I've talked about so far is your return for dermoscopy. So what's the investment? Well, you've got to take the time to learn and the time to practice. You've already started that. You're sitting here and you're starting to learn the basics of dermoscopy. Um, the other investment is that you've got to keep it with you in your pocket and just start looking at things, especially when you start out with a dermatoscope. Don't let it sway you one way or the other, but just start looking at things and look at everything. Don't look at just say, oh, I bet that's a melanoma. I should look at it. You just start looking at everything so that you get that framework of reference. And then the cost of your dermatoscope. Um, I pulled this off of Amazon. You probably can't see it, but it's less than 300 bucks for your most basic dermatoscope. And if three gens here, they almost always have great deals at conferences. If you say there's no way I can spend 300 bucks, there's an app for $2.99 called Smackamole on um, the iPhone store. And so not quite as good as training, but you do kind of, you smack the atypical Nevi. <laughs> okay, so let's get to the basics here. So the first step when you're gonna look at something under your dermatoscope is, is it melanocytic, is it not? And when I say melanocytic, that's different from saying, is it pigmented? We have lots of lesions that are of non-melanocyte origin that are not melanocytic, and they have pigment in them. So like a pigmented basal cell is an example. This is from the AFP, and I think it's a great, very oversimplified algorithm, but this is where I'm going with this. So you're going to have different criteria to judge a melanocytic lesion than you are a non-melanocytic lesion. And so that's the first question that you're going to ask. This where it says biopsy referral, again, this is from the AFP. You are the referral when they get there. So you say, well, how do I know if it's melanocytic? Well, there's three basic things that you're looking at. Pigment network, dots and globules, which also includes some streaks, and amorphous areas. 
Pigment network um, sometimes seems to be the most difficult thing for people to grasp, but essentially you're looking at this grid of light and dark brown. You can kind of appreciate it there at the periphery there. And what that correlates to is that melanin, when you think about it, that's sitting in the reet ridges at those dermal papillae. And so you get this fine, regular network there. And so that's kind of the hallmark. A lesion does not have to be full of a pigment network to have a pigment network, especially in irregular lesions. You may have one area with a residual pigment network that's your clue that this is of a melanocytic origin. So you can see here, I wouldn't say that that whole thing has a regular network, but there at the periphery, you can appreciate that. Here's another one, it's that fine lattice-like structure. So this is two side by side. One has a pigment network, one does not, but it still has pigment. And I hope you can appreciate the difference there. This is an ink spot lentigo, and you can see, especially at the periphery there where it's not um, as tightly aggregated, you can appreciate kind of that lattice-like appearance as opposed to here is a pigmented basal cell and they're just kind of irregular globules and smudges. And right now you may say, I don't get that, but the more and the more that you look at these things, you'll start to appreciate that network. So this is interactive. Pigment network, yes or no? Yes. Pigment network? Yes, I'm gonna argue yes. On the face, you're gonna see, because you're gonna look at a lot of things on the face, especially when you're starting to look at basal cells and things like that. You've got a pseudo network as well. And so you see all those little holes in the network. That's not dropout pigment. Those are follicular openings and that's a hallmark of a lesion on the face. Yes, yes, very clear pigment network. Ink spot lentigos are a great one to look at for that. Okay, pigment network. A little bit more difficult to see because here we're starting to get some dysregulation of that network, but I think you can appreciate peripherally, you've got some areas where you can appreciate those lines of pigment that would correlate with the reet ridges. And like I said, it doesn't have to be some uniform thing because a lot of the things that we're looking at are not totally benign. Pigment network, yes or no? Yes, exactly. So while it's disordered and irregular and not homogenous throughout that lesion, yes, there is evidence of a pigment network. Okay, so next is dots and globules. Dots and globules, a lot of times in congenital nevi, compound nevi, dermal nevi, you're not really gonna see much of a pigment true network. And when you think about it clinically and histologically, they're shaped differently. And so instead you'll see these regular aggregates of pigment and that's called a dot or a globule. Sometimes they're called clods in other literature. So here I put two next to each other. One has the dots and globules, and then again, more of some of the irregular smudges. And hopefully y'all can appreciate the difference in what regular dots and globules of pigment look like, and then some more irregular just pigment in the dermis. Okay, so these two lesions I wanted you to see because they show evidence of both a pigment network and some dots and globules. They're kind of finer through there, but you can see some peripherally as well. Both of these are just nevi, benign. Okay, and so here we have from most benign to getting more and more atypical there. But again, before we get into diagnosis and things like that, I just want you to appreciate that in these three lesions, they are melanocytic. That's all we're asking you to do right now. Is it melanocytic or is it not? And with all three of these, you could say, you know what? Yes, I think there's some aggregates of dots and globules in these. Yes, they're melanocytic. Okay, and then flip that around. 
These are three basal cells. And so just looking at the difference between the dots and globules of pigment in a melanocytic lesion and the dots and globules of pigment in a non-melanocytic lesion. Can you kind of see the difference between the two or start to appreciate that things, once you look at more and more things, you start to recognize them? Okay, so would you call that a dot or a globule? Probably not. It's more of a homogeneous blue area. But again, this is our third hallmark of a melanocytic lesion, a homogeneous blue area like a blue nevus, which is what this is. Both of these are more amorphous. Um, the one on the left, excuse me, the one on the left is a blue nevus, and this is a solar lentigo. And a lot of times in solar lentigos, you have a little bit of a flattening of those ridges, and that's what gives you that homogeneous appearance. You can also have amorphous areas or blue-gray areas inside of a malignancy. And so you start to see that you get that smudging and that blue-gray area. We're gonna talk about that in just a moment. But you can appreciate that um, when it's not all one lesion, you can still see these amorphous areas that correlate with a melanocytic lesion. So, again, instead of, is there a pigment network? Let's say, is it melanocytic? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, and so again, your pigment network, this is one of those kind of fried egg looking guys, but um, you've got that nice network all, array, um, all the way around the periphery there. Okay, yes, it is. These are dots and globules, but you can also appreciate a little bit of a pigment network there. One of the um, less cool things in dermoscopy is the wobble sign. I think that's kind of a gross term, but you can take your dermatoscope and wobble a lesion and that's a sign of usually a dermal nevus. I think clinically you could probably do that and flick it as well so you don't have to use your dermatoscope. But if you hear the term, the wobble sign, that's what they're talking about. Okay, is it melanocytic? You could say, hey, it's got dots and globules, maybe some hint, of a network somewhere in there. But what is the origin here? This is vascular. This is a hemangioma. And so you have to be careful because you could argue, say, well, it looks like maybe there's a little pigment peripherally. Anytime you're looking at any of these lesions, you need to be careful that you differentiate the characteristics of the lesion from the characteristics of the surrounding skin. Because a lot of the lesions that you're looking at are going to be on heavily photodamaged skin, and so it can be a little tricky sometimes. But this is vascular. Is it melanocytic? It is, actually. You could wobble that one, too. But that's those clods or those dots and globules. Is it melanocytic? Yes, I'm gonna say yes, this is a blue nevus, but I'll tell you um, a traumatic tattoo, this could be identical to that as well. So um, deposition of lead down in um, the dermis there looks identical to this. Okay, so which one is melanocytic? And I think when you put them side by side, it's a little bit obvious there. You can see which one has a network. That network is obviously of pigment. And then here we've also got just an angioma as well. That's, those dots and globules are vascular. Y'all appreciate that? Okay, so I wanna remind you to look at the whole picture. You might say, oh, that's a cute family photo. And then all of a sudden you go, is that a, a male lion like three feet from your children? Yes, it is. And so that's just a reminder in there. Like I said, when you're looking at these lesions, Look at the whole picture. Don't get caught up in one little area of ulceration in the lesion. Look at the whole picture. And so 
I put these up there because the whole picture, it, they're so heavily aggregated on top there. One's an SK and one is a congenital nevus. But they're so thick and heavy there in the center, you may not be able to tell the difference. But when you get out towards the periphery, you can start to appreciate which one of those is melanocytic. So look at the whole area. And again, that's important too when I talk about pigment network because sometimes melanomas are so disordered especially amelanotic melanomas, that um, you've really got to look around the edges. And almost all amelanotic melanomas are going to have a hint of pigment somewhere at the periphery. Not all of them. So this one's a trickier one, and it just reminds you that history is important. One of these is a melanocytic, and one is not. And I'll show you later when we talk about SKs, this photo again. This, one are, this one's your regular dots and globules of a congenital nevus. This one is an SK in a person who used self-tanner. So history is important because both self-tanner and the other one that I've gotten caught by was a lady who came in and said, all my moles are turning black. And so I'm looking at, and they were, the pigment was so irregular in everything that I looked at. There was hemorrhage. I didn't know what was going on. And then I went, did you have laser hair removal recently? And she had. So history is important. Both laser and self-tanner can make things look a little bit different under your dermatoscope. All right, so now we get into the meat. We've decided... Is it melanocytic? Is it not? But really more importantly as clinicians, is it benign or is it not? So the first thing is color. And I put this slide up here just to say you can appreciate a whole host of colors under the dermatoscope. This is a great slide, I think, because this tells you kind of where histologically. I love clinical dermatoscope histologic correlation that we get to do in dermatology. So this tells you what these colors correlate to. So black is going to be aggregates of melanin that are high up, usually in the epidermis or in the high dermis. Brown is what I've been talking about before. That's those ridges. That's your typical pigment network. Gray is actually a melanin inside of melanophages. Blue pigment deeper down in the dermis. Yellow and orange is going to be keratin or serum that are in aggregates, you know, very superficially, usually in the stratum corneum. White correlates with collagen or scar tissue, and red is vascular. So this is a lesion. I just want you to look for a second, and um, hopefully it comes across that you can appreciate. There are a lot of colors in this lesion. And for you, just like clinically, when you've got lots and lots of color under your dermatoscope, you should be concerned. So they've marked black, gray, light brown, dark brown, but I think you've also got red and potentially some blue in this lesion as well. It's a rainbow and not the good kind. And I mentioned the tendal effect as well, you know, because we've, that's something we're familiar with in dermatology. The deeper that pigment is, you get the tendal effect that makes it appear blue. Um, the other type of blue that you've got, because sometimes when I say it's just gray, which is melanin and melanophages, or blue, which is down in the dermis, the blue-white veil that you're going to hear talked about with dermoscopy, a blue-white veil means that you have this heavy sheet of melanocytes down deep, and it's kind of, it's a malignant process, and so you get disordering of the skin that's over that, of the epidermis that's on top of that. When you look at it under the microscope, it's got hypergranulosis in that epidermis on top, but it gives it this smudged appearance, and that's what they're talking about with the blue-white veil. It's more of this veil or haze across a portion of the lesion as opposed to a blue area or things like that, and it takes some time to appreciate that, but this is what I'm talking about. You can, I mean, you can see that. It looks like I took my thumb and I smudged the top of that picture. That's the blue-white veil. It's important to know because in 78% of melanomas that are over 0.75 Breslow depth, 
you can find an area with a blue-white veil. In melanomas that are less than 0.75, it's still present in about 20 to 25%. And so this is an important characteristic to have kind of as one of your red flags high on your radar, because that's a big deal. Okay, so going back to color, if you've got one color in your mind that's almost always benign. So these are four lesions with essentially one color to all of them. Symmetry is the next thing to look at. So you're like, these are just your normal ABCDs that we normally do for melanoma. Yeah, kind of it is. But your color and now your symmetry of shape and pattern. I don't have to belabor that, you guys know what that is. So here we have more than one color in all of these lesions, but you essentially have very symmetric shapes and patterns. And again, all of these are benign lesions. Okay, so benign or not? I guess your first question, is it melanocytic? And I've already answered that for you, yes. You've got your pigment network. The answer is yes, it is. And so you've got pretty regular shape, and as you get more and more comfortable, you'll start to appreciate what's benign and what's not. Okay, so this one you're on the fence about, or at least I am. And so it is a dysplastic nevus, and this is probably one that I would biopsy to see what degree of atypia that you've got going on. Benign? No. And if you said yes, meet me afterwards. We'll go back over the first part. <laughs> but again, so as I scroll through these three, hopefully you can appreciate I'm going from most normal to dysplastic to melanoma. So dermoscopy of melanoma, because pretty much this is kind of the primary thing that we think about. There are a lot of methods, and we know this. As physicians, as clinicians, we love algorithms and methods. And if you wanted to, you could get like a 26-point score list and do it for every lesion that walks through your door. It would take you forever, and you could see like three patients in a half day. But you could. And so I think these are important in that, do I sit there and I score every lesion that I look at? No. But I know the characteristics of these scoring methods and what's important with these scoring methods to essentially help me, you know, decide what I'm concerned about and what I'm not. I mentioned the Kettler method on here. Um, the Kettler method is great. However, the basis of the Kettler method is not, is it melanocytic, is it not? It's completely different. It's pattern recognition. So if you get really familiar with dermoscopy and it's something that you enjoy doing, you ought to look into it because once you start to recognize what some of these patterns and structures are, it's a different framework to look at dermoscopy and it's pretty interesting. He's out of Australia. So the three-point method, we're gonna do the most simple Asymmetry of color, asymmetry of pattern, and any blue or white structures. And so the rules with the three-point method, if you're going to use your little score sheet, and this one's pretty easy to score, you get one point for each of those. And if you get two points, you biopsy it. All right, so color, pattern, blue-white. So let's score some of these. And I'll give you a second to kind of, you can write down your score on your sheet. Don't hold it up, I'm gonna get really insecure if people are holding up twos, and so. But you might give this one one point for a little bit of asymmetry of color um, there at that inferior border there. There's a little bit of asymmetry there. But really, your pattern's pretty regular. I don't see any blue-white areas. So if you're going straight on that, if I got a two-eye biopsy, if I don't, I don't, you wouldn't. Three-point method. Asymmetry of color, asymmetry of pattern, blue-white areas. Okay, it's tricky, remember? 
melanocytic or not, is your first question. And so you really don't need to grade non-melanocytics on a three-point method because those things don't count anymore necessarily. Um, and I'll tell you this, though. If you're really going to be a purist and use this three-point method, melanocytic or not, and you're not sure if it's melanocytic or not, always assume that it is, all right? And then help let that be your guide on that. But in this case, this is just a benign angioma. It's not melanocytic, and so you're going to say, well, I'm not even going to grade that. Okay, three-point method. Here you go. Asymmetry of color, asymmetry of pattern, blue-white areas. I would have probably given this a zero. I think um, the DermNet that had a blog on this gave it a one, but either way, it's benign. Asymmetry of color, asymmetry of pattern, and some blue-white areas. So by this, um, I think most of you probably would have given this a three. It's pretty irregular looking, atypical looking. And I bring this up, and yes, I would have biopsied this hands down. But um, just so you know, just like you need to tell your pathologist when you've got a recurrent nevus, this is a recurrent nevus. So just like under the microscope, recurrent nevi are scary, under the dermatoscope, they're scary too. And so certainly I think this would have justified a biopsy, especially if you didn't realize it was recurrent. Even if you did, I probably still would have taken this off. Three-point method, asymmetry of color, pattern, blue-white. You maybe could give it a one um, for the whitish area, but totally benign. Asymmetry of color, I think we can all agree you've got that. Asymmetry of pattern, absolutely. Blue-white, you could probably argue back and forth on. And in the time it would have taken you to argue, you still would have biopsied it. This is a melanoma in situ. Um, perhaps you've got a little hint of a blue-white area there that would correlate to some regression. But yes, yeah, so this is a melanoma in situ. And I really think you can appreciate you've lost a lot of that pigment network in the vast majority of that lesion. But your hint is still up there. Asymmetry of color, pattern, and blue-white areas. Or you can go back to your first question, is it melanocytic or not? The answer is no, it's not. But as you start, like I said before, um, always say if you're not sure, then assume that it is. And let your histopathologist be the judge. Um, but here, this is a pigmented basal cell. And there's some other hallmarks that we're going to talk about in the next hour of basal cells as well. But you still have asymmetry of color, pattern, and blue-white areas. It needed a biopsy anyway. Broken record, asymmetry of color, pattern, blue-white, yes, melanoma. Sometimes you don't need your dermatoscope. <laughs> so these are all SKs. The one is irritated. But the more and more you start looking at things, and sometimes when you first start with dermoscopy, you will freak yourself out because everything you look at looks a little scary, especially when you get your dysplastic nevus patient that walks in. All of a sudden, you're like, you need 47 biopsies. Um, but these are SKs, and we'll talk about characteristics there in a bit. Okay, I like the seven-point method. I'm not going to belabor this or ask you to score. In this method, the majors get two points, the minors get um, one point. If you get a score greater than three, you get a biopsy. Again, this gets to where you get out a score sheet. I'm sure somebody could actually make like an app for that, too. But um, 
pigment, blue-white, and this counts vascularity as a major criteria. And the more and more that you get into dermoscopy and a lot of the longer dermoscopy courses that you go to, vasculature is a big deal. Looking at different patterns of vascular, shapes of your vessels, those kind of things, it's a big deal. Mainly all I want you to do today is say it's a little bit irregular. And so, um, but the minor is why I bring this up because I think these are great things to keep in your mind, especially when you're thinking about the diagnosis of melanoma. Dots and globules, streaks, blotches, and regression areas. Those are all hallmarks of um, malignant melanocytic lesions. And so those are just nice things. And again, irregular. I talked about dots and globules before, those regular ones like we saw in those congenital or compound nevi. These are irregular, and you'll start to appreciate that. So if you go by your seven-point method here, yes, you've got your blue-white areas and your irregular pattern. I think it's hard to appreciate really any vascularity in this lesion, but you do see some areas that I would probably call that streaking, some irregular globules, certainly some smudged blotchy areas and white areas. This, again, is a melanoma. And so, um, but those, just to hallmark some of those minor criteria as things that you keep in that category in your mind. Here you can appreciate that irregular vascularity that they're talking about. You get the blue, you get the pattern, but even a little bit of ulceration there, which we know is not a good thing inside of a melanoma. But you see some great, those are not spots that are on the screen. I mean, those are actual globules or dots of pigment, just irregularly scattered throughout there. Some really nice streaking there. Um, so just things that you start to realize. And again, I think probably, um, if you had your oil immersion, you're up close, you could appreciate some irregular vascularity in this. But this is pretty classic. And you can see those irregular dots and globules there. Look at that great streaking right there. And that's what I would call a blue-white veil, not just an area of gray in that lesion. I mean, that's that smudged veil look to it. Yes, it's a melanoma. Okay, so briefly we're going to talk about some non-melanocytic lesions. We'll hit this more again as we test our skills in the next hour as well. And so the ones that you need to be familiar with, I use my dermatoscope as much for non-melanocytic lesions as I do for nevi and melanoma. Um, SKs, it's great. And again, when I say patients love dermoscopy, SKs is where your dermatoscope earns its keep because they come in, they're like, I've got this scaly lesion on my temple here, and you say, oh, that's just an SK, but you've also got a melanoma on your shoulder. No, 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 that's nothing. Look at this on my temple. And so then you can say, oh, they'll say, um, are you sure that's all it is? So your next step is you pull out your dermatoscope, put it on there. Yes, I am sure that that's all it is. So it's just, it gives them a little bit of reassurance, and then you can address the melanoma that they don't care about on their shoulder. So SKs, they've got some hallmark features just like they do under the microscope. Um, there's no true pigment network or those nice little globules of pigment. The milia-like cyst or the comodo-like cyst or other places they're called white clods, that's your hallmark of an SK as well as this brain-like cerebriform surface. So these are those milia-like cysts. And clinically, a lot of times you can see that too. Think about in your mind of your 80-year-old person who's got 200 SKs on their back. You can see these little milia-like comatose cysts inside of an SK, but even when you can't appreciate them with the naked eye, a lot of times you'll see them, especially in early SKs that you're not sure about. A lot of times you'll see these and be reassured. And so this is the milia-like system in SK next to a sebaceous hyperplasia, just to appreciate this is kind of just aggregated tissue. And then you've got these separate milia-like cysts within the lesion.
In this paper, they like to call them clods, but the white clods are those milia-like cysts. Orange clods, like I talked about, are keratin or serum that are high up there. And then these are these irregular brown clods that also kind of correlate to an SK. This is the fat finger cerebriform surface that I was mentioning earlier. Um, sometimes you don't see any of those milia-like cysts, but this is another very, very characteristic appearance to an SK. And this brings up the point, like I said, if you get a dermatoscope and you're just starting, look at everything. Because the more you see of what's normal, the more you can appreciate what's abnormal. And so you need to look at SKs that don't have these milia-like cysts, but you know it's a mammoth, it's an SK. There's that one again that was the one that I showed you earlier that's the SK with tanning in it. And now you can kind of appreciate that cerebriform brain-like surface to that lesion that's consistent with an SK. So one's a dermal nevus, one's an SK. And so can you kind of see the difference between the two? You've got your kind of globules and you've got your hair and your wobble. And then you've got that brain-like coral, you know, cerebriform surface. Fissures and crypts, I don't really think you need your dermatoscope for this, but it's always described as a hallmark of SKs. Clinically, you see these. These are the ones that you want to just kind of pick off because um, they've got that just crusty, fissured appearance. Or I want to pick off. You may be more couth than me. Okay, basal cell carcinoma. Outside of pigment, this is my favorite, favorite thing to use my dermatoscope for. And I can't tell you how many times that I've thought, you know, you have these moments all the time. Do I freeze it? Do I biopsy it? Do I freeze it and have them back in a month? A lot of times with your dermatoscope, you can appreciate early characteristics of a basal cell carcinoma that you can't see with the naked eye. You biopsy it and you get a basal cell when it's one and a half, two millimeters, as opposed to waiting six months when they come back and saying, oh yeah, that was a basal cell. And so this one is great. And I use my um, dermatoscope all the time on the face or in the neck for this. This is your classic basal cell. And this arborizing, if you take away one feature of basal cell carcinomas, arborizing telangiectasia. And by arborizing, I mean this kind of irregular tree branching appearance to the vessels inside the lesion. And if you notice, like I mentioned earlier, it's important to look at the lesion as opposed to the perilesional skin. Because a lot of folks that we're looking at, they got all kinds of telangiectasias on their skin. And so you have to look to make sure that your vasculature is a component of the lesion, not of your background skin there. But can you see that it's that branching, that irregular branching? And a lot of times when you look at an actinic keratosis, you don't necessarily see that. But in an early basal cell, this is one of the earliest features to see that arborizing telangiectasia. So one has arborizing telangiectasia, one does not. Can you see the difference that irregular arborizing telangiectasia in the basal cell? This one's a dermatified broma that a lot of time has a halo of vasculature, but very different between that irregular arborizing telangiectasia that we're talking about with a basal cell. This one's ulcerated, so clinically you may never even get to the point that you pull out your dermatoscope. A lot of times in the literature, I think leaf-like areas are more difficult to appreciate in basal cells, and certainly they're not a hallmark across the board of basal cells. But what they're talking about, just so you see it, is this kind of nice scalloped portion at the edges of a basal cell, that's what they mean when they say leaf-like areas. It's this nice leafy appearance around the periphery. So these are viral warts. Um, I put that in there because I think that's kind of that same peripheral shape that they're talking about with um, leaf-like areas in a basal cell. That being said, if you've got a cluster of seven, you're not going to say, wow, you've got seven little basal cells together. But um, 
But viral warts, that's what little flat warts look like. But here you can see that same leaf-like periphery. And then also centrally, you've got that arborizing telangiectasia that's suggestive of a basal cell as well. These are the blue-gray areas. I've shown you plenty of pigmented basal cells so far, just trying to get you to appreciate a network. But blue-gray areas are classic in a pigmented basal cell. And I'll be really honest with you, um, even though most of the time I'm relatively confident when I see a pigmented basal cell versus a melanoma, I usually don't see ND at the time of my biopsy, simply because I just want to be 100% sure and the last thing I want to do is CND a melanoma. And so I'll biopsy and I'll tell the patient, I think that this probably is just a little pigmented basal cell, but let's check it. I'll call you back in a couple days and we'll go from there. So one of these is a pigmented basal cell that's extremely ugly and the other is a melanoma. So I want you to look at the two and appreciate which one has a hint of what we talked about as being of melanocytic origin. So a pigment network, dots and globules, blue-white areas. Okay, so this is your melanoma. So at the periphery, you can appreciate that pigment network. You've lost a lot of normalcy there in the center. You've got some irregular things, but this is a basal cell and you can see the arborizing telangiectasias there. That being said, in clinic, you are not gonna sit there with your dermatoscope for 10 minutes and analyze a lesion. Um, and it gets creepy if you do, especially on their face. But this is definitely one, it's a scary basal cell, and at first blush, I would look at that and say, oh my goodness, that's probably a melanoma. When you stop and you look more closely, you can begin to differentiate the two, but just to show you some of those differences there. Vascular lesions, this is another one, because folks will be covered in angioma, and then all of a sudden they say, I get this new black spot. A lot of times you can see that it's just vascular when you look at it under the dramatoscope. Lacunae is the hallmark here of vascular lesions. These are just both cherry angiomas. But lacunae just means those little lakes, so different than the dots and globules of pigment that I showed you earlier. This is hemorrhage. Um, hemorrhage is black. A lot of times you need a history on that. A portion of an angioma can be traumatized and have hemorrhage in it. Okay. So we're going to take a break here. So we've got some time. We'll answer some questions now. We went through that kind of quickly, but we'll take some more time on the next one as well. So we'll take some questions, and then we're going to test our skills and go back on that. So what questions just initially can we answer on dermoscopy? Because really in the next one, I'm going to ask you to be interactive, write down some diagnoses that you want, and Bueller, questions, anybody? Go ahead, yeah. Sure, was that on that last slide? Can you put the presentation back up there for me? So yes, that's the, like, again, what I said earlier, that you can have pigment in non-melanocytic lesions. It's trying to differentiate between, um, is it a melanocytic, so are there aggregated dots and globules? Is there a pigment network? And it's tough in a heavily pigmented basal cell to do that. Some of these other characteristics would um, hopefully help you lean towards a basal cell with the leaf-like periphery there. But that is, those blue-gray spoke wheel, they call them either spoke wheel areas or blue-gray areas inside of a basal cell, and that's irregular pigment. And a lot of times it's pigment inside those melanophages that you've got down in the upper dermis that gives you that appearance as well. But I encourage you too, when you're starting out, if you're not sure melanocytic or not, biopsy, don't see and D it. Don't assume it's a pigmented basal cell if you're concerned about melanoma. Basal cell. Uh-huh. They're, they're blue-gray spoke wheels. I'm not sure if any of them. 
that really didn't have the spoke wheeled appearance. That's probably the best one there at um, kind of over there, some of that streaking vascularly, peripherally. And so it's tough to differentiate. Like I said in that last one where you've got a heavily pigmented basal cell, at first blush, you're going to cry melanoma. All right. Any other questions on that first part? Yeah, go ahead. Um, my question is, um, characteristics to look at um, with a scaling area on the face that looks like an AK, but it, it's actually a superficial basal cell. Yep. What would you look for to help you differentiate between one or the other? I'll be very honest with you that I usually go more on my clinical impression than my dermatoscope impression when I'm looking at Bowen's disease, squamous cell, AKs, and things like that. There are others who are a whole lot better at dermoscopy than I am who can do that. But to me, it's, it's I mean, kind of like what you see under the microscope, that it's that whole spectrum, especially on an AK, squamous situ, squamous cell. And so I usually use more my clinical impression. I'll look at it, and if I see um, suggestion of an uh, invasive basal cell, you know, or nodular basal cell starting up, absolutely, I'm going to biopsy it. Um, on Dermoscopy Made Simple, there's three podcasts that talk about AK, Bowen's disease, and things like that, that have some great characteristics. But you've got to be really savvy to pick them up, because that's when you get into looking at patterns of vasculature as much as anything. So... How do you tell the difference between a dermal nevus that has a lot of telangiectasias and a basal cell? I think your clinical impression is big there. First your pants, then your shoes. Um, if you're not sure, you've got to go on your history for one thing, because usually dermal nevi have been present for a long time. And oftentimes, just like I had recently, you've got three lesions sitting together and they say, oh, those moles have always been there. And one of the three is a basal cell. And so looking, it is tough, I'll agree with you, if there's a lot of telangiectasia in there. And so your clinical impression, really what you see under, under the dermatoscope should never completely change your mind. You should lead into it with your dermatoscope looking at something, usually with a clinical impression, and just use that to help you. And so, no, you can't always differentiate. And if you're concerned based on your history of the patient, yeah. biopsy. Sometimes patients are like, it's only been there for like a year. Exactly. They don't know how long it's been yeah. there. So I bring just... up the blink algorithm in the next lecture, and one of the um, dermatoscopic reasons to biopsy something is the patient's really nervous about it. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, even if it looks completely benign, if you've had a lesion that they say it was not there six months ago and it's growing rapidly and changing, even if they're lying and patients lie all the time, that's usually enough that's usually enough impetus for me to go ahead and do a biopsy.